Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants Mobile App. John Schmelk with you. Lance Beto and Paul Dottino will join me in just a second. Uh, we did an interview with Rob Ninkovich, former Patriots linebacker and also an ESPN analyst, talking about his experience with Joe Judge and Patrick Graham. So Paul and Lance helped me with that interview, but when we get back from that interview, I'm going to be solo. We're still having that connection issue with the server outside of my control. Um, so I will just go solo to keep the audio quality what it usually is um, after that interview. So I'll need you on the phones at 973-667-1960. I also try to hit some questions from the mailbag, and we'll do um, all that stuff with you right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live and, of course, have a lot of fun. So I want to remind everybody, too, by the way, next week's shows will not be live from 12 to 1. I'm taking off, so there's no one to stream the show. So those shows will be recorded. We'll be doing them. So just make sure you check out the archive in the afternoon uh, to check out Big Blue Kickoff Live as the guys start to do their team previews for Giants opponents this year. All right, our interviews with Rob Nikovich. Let's get to it. And now we're joined by our guest, former Patriot. I'm going to call him linebacker, edge rusher, defensive end, hybrid guy, and that's Rob Ninkovich. And, Rob, you're on with John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, and Lance Meadow on Giants.com. I uh, hope you and your family and everybody's safe during uh, these very turbulent times in our country. Thank you. Same to you. I never thought that I'd be on uh, Giants radio right now. <laughs> no, but you know what? The Giants have gone and gotten a lot of guys that were with the Patriots, so it makes sense, and you have a lot of experience with two of them, Patrick Graham and, and Joe Judge. But I'm going to start with a more generic question first, Rob, because yep. Joe Judge has talked a lot about designing his schemes offensively and defensively every week based on the opponent, and it can look very different each week depending on who the opponent is. So as a player... How much for you, defensively, scheme-wise, did things really change week to week? Well, I mean, you, you have to change, uh, or the other team is going to be able to watch the tape and understand what you're doing. So, you know, the NFL, especially, you know, every week is a challenge, and depending on the quarterback that you're playing, um, you know, you can't be in the same thing every single week. So I think you have to change. You have to be different week to week. Um, if you can do that and you have the players that are able to understand playing different scheme, I think that's what, that's what really can help you and, and make the difference when it comes to trying to, you know, make a playoff push or win the division. I think it really comes down to the ability to change up, you know, especially in the division first game you play versus second game you play. Hey, guys, I want to follow up real quick with Rob on that one because we had Jonathan Casillas, one of your former teammates, on, and I asked him this question. I want to ask it to you. To what extent do things change? Obviously, you can change tendencies. You can change you know, the pattern of calls and things like that. But are we talking about things as simple as fronts and gap responsibilities? Do things as basic as that change week to week too? Yeah, I mean, if you can do that, I mean, some teams don't have the luxury of being able to go from a 43 to a 34 or a 52 front. Um, you know, just depending on their personnel. If you have, you know, four, three defensive ends that don't really know how to drop or they don't have any experience in coverage, then it's pretty tough to switch into a 34 and expect those guys to drop. So I think it, it you know, comes down to personnel, um, you know, how you, what, what guys and bodies you bring into the building that you've evaluated that can play different positions and different roles. Um, I do know, as a Patriot playing for the Patriots, there is a lot of value in being able to drop in a coverage, rush the passer, stop the run, um, and stay on the field the whole time and do that. So if you can have guys that 
are able to stay on the field and you don't have to pull them off the field to put a guy out there that can drop, then that's another tendency that another team can't watch and see. Like, hey, if Ninkovich comes off the field, look out. Like, another guy's going to come <laughs> in and only rush, you know. So I think when you can have multiple packages with the same personnel, that's what's the most challenging for other teams. Rob, when you were with the Patriots, you played with Fleming, Lewis, and Ebner, now all Giants, uh, as John mentioned up top. It does seem like Patriots South these days here in East Rutherford. But let me just start by asking you about Joe Judge and about Patrick Graham, guys you know well. Even though the Belichick system and the Patriot system has been so incredibly successful, we all know that guys have to bring some individuality with them. They can't take a carbon copy of the Patriot system everywhere they go. From what you know about Judge and about Graham, what can they bring differently to help them succeed with the Giants? Well, I think they have a tremendous work ethic. And I was with Pat a long time. Me and Pat are very close and good friends and um, you know, he helped me a lot in my career because he was so thorough in everything that he did in preparation. Same with Joe Judge. I mean, Joe Judge is going to be a guy that is the first in, last guy out. He'll probably sleep there four or five nights a week. You know, I, I know that sounds crazy, but he's that he's that into it. Same with Pat. I mean, those guys, they're not going to leave any stone unturned when it comes to preparation. So I, I think that you can learn a lot from being with the Patriot organization and you can learn the things that, that Bill is able to do and, and kind of how he approaches things, but then also have your own personal twist on coaching style and how you deal with players and, and how you deal with coaching. You know, everyone has their own way of doing things. Uh, you, can't, you, can't be this, you can't be Bill Belichick. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So I think the best thing that, that any coach or player that's been around Bill and, and learned from him is just taking – all the things in and, and trying to absorb the key fundamentals that, that are taught to you when you're coached or playing under Bill Belichick. Um, and you try to put those and install those same types of values into your new team, but yet still have your own individual style on, you know, just, just coaching and, and relating to your players. Cause at the end, at the end of the day, it's all about, how do you get the group, a group of men from all different age groups and backgrounds to come together for a common goal? And that comes down to just the way your consistency is with coaching, the way you consistently um, coach each guy. There's no favoritism. There's look, as I can tell you this, I've seen, I've seen Tom Brady get yelled at by Bill Belichick, and it doesn't matter if he's the greatest of all time. And and I think that that speaks volumes from as another player on in that team that look, nobody's, nobody is safe here and, and we're all going to be held accountable. So I think the accountability, you know, coach Graham and Joe judge are going to hold guys accountable, which is very much so needed in the NFL. You have to be accountable. You have to um, be expected to play at a high level week in and week out. Um, and there is no, my bads. So I would, I would anticipate, moving forward that there isn't I'll, I'll get it next time or my bad I, I messed up it's no we're going to get it done we're going to get it right we're going to walk through we're going to make sure we practice hard and you know all those little things help teams when things are tough and an NFL season is tough Rob if I can ask just a follow-up there 
How much different is it to get guys to buy in when Belichick says it because he's had the Hall of Fame career with all of the championship rings as a head coach as compared to when one of his offspring, so to speak, from the coaching tree tried to do the same thing? I would imagine that the instant credibility that, that Belichick may have may not always translate to the assistants, or do you think that's the case? No, no, it doesn't translate at all, and that's the thing that's the challenge. And, I mean, Bill Belichick in 2000 was in that same position, and, and he had to go out there and had to win football games and had to have a team buy in. But that when that comes down to how you evaluate your talent, how you what type of personalities you bring into the locker room. So they, they can buy in, and, and guys like Nate Ebner, who have been with the Patriots, are going to be great examples of, look, this is how – you just come into work every day, you, you put your head down and you grind, and, and you try and um, do everything you can to help the team, and you try and do the best that you can and hope that other guys around you want to follow that lead. And as a coach coming from another place where Bill Belichick, yes, when he walks in the room, he demands attention and demands respect, you would hope that, that the guys that you bring into that locker room and that setting those, those are the types of guys that are going to give you the respect and the attention that you, that you want. And as a coach, look, the number one thing that you have to do is, is make sure that the guys in the locker room respect you and, and that you don't lose the team. And, and I think, look, I've been around Joe Judge a long time, and, and I think that he definitely has – I had a ton of respect for him, and he has the respect of the guys around him um, just because of the fact that he knows football. He knows ball. He knows X's and O's. He knows offense, defense. He was on the special teams side of it for a long time. Um, you know, at Alabama, where we all know how great that program is, you know, came to New England and, and really did a great job there. Um, so I think that that is the respect, you know, the, the things that he has done working up to this point to get the opportunity to be a head coach. I think that is what guys are going to respect. And look, at the end of the day, if there's somebody that isn't giving the respect that you, that you need to have right now in a building situation where you're trying to build a program, then maybe he's not the right guy. So that goes back to trying to find the right characters, the right personalities, the right guys that you want to build a winning, a winning team with. Rob, as you noted, you've been with Joe Judge for quite some time because not only did you contribute on defense, but you were a key special teamer, and Scott O'Brien was your special teams coordinator. Once Judge came in, he started off as the assistant and then worked his way up to the special teams coordinator. You spoke of how he was exposed to an entire roster, but what did you see out of him from a maturity standpoint and growth in a coach from an X's and O's standpoint as to how he really saw full potential in the entire roster and then showcase that across the board in his interaction with his players? Well, I think a special teams coach especially has a unique ability to get the best out of each guy because, let's face it, special teams players in general aren't the superstars that are um, super paid on the roster. Those are the guys from, you know, say 40 to 53 on the back end of the roster that are just trying to do their best so they can have an opportunity to show that they can play defense or play offense. And that's where, that's where I was at early in my career. I knew that I had to run down on kickoff and I had to learn all the little things on being a good special teams player before I even had a chance to be on defense. They weren't going to, that wasn't just going to happen for me. I had to earn my stripes 
running down on kickoff and doing all those little things that, yeah, it might not be the, the, the most glorious thing to be a guy, you know, setting up a wedge, but, you know, I mean, there's no wedges anymore, but that's what I had to do. <laughs> um, but just Joe Judge, as a special teams coach, they have to really cram a lot of information in a very short amount of time. They don't have the hour group meetings with your position groups like you would if you're a D lineman or a linebacker. Special teams unit, you know, usually after team meeting, they might have 20 minutes, you know, to go over their kickoff return or their punt or their punt return. So you have to be very, very thorough in number one, installing what you want to be installing towards to, to where everyone in that room understands what you're, what's going on. And then also making sure that when there's a substitution or a guy gets hurt or, you know, a guy is not available that the next guy is able to jump in and be there without having, you know, an extra guy missing on, you know, we all seen, we've all seen, you know, an, a, a guy on field goal that's missing and, and, runs out to the field late or, you know, there's somebody missing on punt team. And if you don't have a guard or a tackle on your punt unit, like that's a big deal. That's how games are lost. So I think the being so thorough, Joe Judge, in, in coaching, being efficient, um, getting everybody on the same page, that is really what he's excelled at. And not only has he done it in the pro level, but he did it in college, um, at the college level. So if, if you take, you know, the two guys that he has coached under – Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, I mean, that resume speaks volumes. So um, I think that, that that the ability for him to coach and get everybody on the same page, um, that is so valuable. And you learn that as a special teams coordinator because you don't have the time that maybe a D coordinator would have. Rob, we're joined by Rob Ninkovich. Uh, he's also an analyst right now for ESPN. Make sure you check him out, former Patriots linebacker. You mentioned you're very tight and you're close uh, with Patrick Graham, Rob, what is it about him, his personality, and just his intellect and the way he teaches um, that makes you believe he's going to be a very effective defensive coordinator? Well, he's a great motivator. Um, you know, me and Pat have definitely had our fair share of disagreements. You know, he knows when I'm when I'd get angry or you know I'd say, Rob, don't start with me, uh, because he could kind of feel and get a sense for you know, me as a player and when I was a little bit frustrated. And I think that that goes, you know, a long way as a, as a defensive coach when you can take a guy individually, you know, figure out what gets them going to motivate but also to support. You know, I think there's plenty of times where I've been down and, and Pat's been able to bring me back um, to where I was feeling good about where I was at. Because, look, the NFL, is it's a very – mentally draining league and and if you're not playing necessarily well if it's week four and you only got a sack you start thinking oh man can I not can I not get to the quarterback you know so these are all things that as a coach you kind of have to be a teacher but then a mentor and I think Pat not only has he been a great teacher for me you know he's been a great mentor and guiding me and helping me um, through the, the low times in a season. And there's always going to be a tough point. There's always going to be an injury that you're fighting through or something that, that is bothering you and you're not at your best. But, you know, a really good coach, they're able to, to help you through those times um, and maximize your potential. So, um, you know, me and Pat go way back. Um, you know, he does a great job of motivating guys. His pregame speeches are, are always motivating. I, you know, look, he gets fired up. 
he, he almost wants to put a pads on himself. So, um, you know, I, I think that not only does he have a, has a great motivating factor to him, but um, he's very smart. So he knows team, he understands defense. Hey, guys, sorry. Via, I'm on the phone. Stop screaming. Hey, and, Rob, Rob, don't you know, worry about it. I, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old that, thank goodness, is napping upstairs. <laughs> I understand. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so I, I, I just think that his ability to teach, mentor, and the volume of defense and the things that he knows and understanding um, understanding of defense and how to run a defense, um, I, I think he's going to have a good, good time um, in 2020 as a D coordinator. You know, two words you just mentioned, Rob, that really hit home for me because we saw it in Joe Judge's introductory press conference with the Giants. You said teacher and you said mentor. Now, you referred to Patrick Graham with those words, but I also think from what I can tell, those words also apply very strongly to Joe Judge. With a young team that the Giants have, one that is trying to resurrect itself, how critical are those particular traits, even more so than just being a bright football mind? Oh, I think it's huge, especially with a young team. Um, you know, when you have an experience, if you don't have an experienced team where guys have played a lot of football, there's going to be moments in the season that you're going to need that support of your coaches to help you get through those tough times. So um, I think that the, the teaching side of things and the mentor side of stuff, that's huge with a, with a young roster, and, and they're definitely going to have to do a great job of teaching different situations that come up. And that's the one thing I can, that I can speak on in the New England. Um, my New England tenure is just the ability to understand situations. Situational football is how, how teams win and lose. Um, we've all seen a team mismanage two minutes before the end of the half. They don't, screw, they don't kick a field goal, and they end up losing by three points. So it's just, it's just so crazy how situations that come up in the game really can affect the outcome if you're not ready and you're not already coached up on all the things that can happen. And, and I, I can guarantee that Joe Judge is going to have that team coached up and they're going to be ready to go for all situations that might pop up, and it's all unexpected. Rob, speaking of coaching up players in different scenarios, I think what's interesting during your tenure with New England's defense, you had seasons where you had a guy like Chandler Jones who would get you 10 or 11 sacks, and then you had other seasons where it was really piecemeal, and it was four or five of you that had six to eight sacks. When you look at this Giants defense, it is a young secondary, and there's not necessarily a proven pass rusher. So in terms of what you experience in New England's defense and what Patrick Graham can apply to this unit, what do you attribute to why you guys had success when there may have not been that elite one particular pass rusher to rely on? Well, I think it's, it's not trying to uh, stuff a, a square peg in a round hole. You know, if you have, you have to evaluate you have to evaluate the guys on your roster and figure out what is going to be the best scheme and the best thing to run with the talent that you have on that team. Every, every year is different. And especially this first year, um, it's going to be a little bit difficult not having these, this OTA and mini camp time right now to, to evaluate where guys are at. Um, I think that's going to be a disadvantage, unfortunately, to some of these newer coaching staffs. They don't have the time 
um, in with some of these players that other coaching staffs have had, especially if you're, you know, a veteran coaching staff with a lot of veterans on your roster. Um, so they're going to have to figure out, you know, who are our best players. And look, if we have to stay in a four-three, and we just have to on third down be stick to a couple plays, then look, we'd rather be fast and, and aggressive than being slow and overanalyzing things. And when you have a lot of scheme. Sometimes that slows players down. When you have older veteran players, you can put a lot on the plate, and you can you can un, you can understand and know like these guys will digest it. They're, they're able to adjust on the fly. But when you have a young defense, maybe guys that haven't played a lot of different spots or a lot of different scheme, you might have to just make it simple for them. And and sometimes that's not a bad thing. Look, there's you look, think about the Giants in in 2007 um, when they had their Super Bowl run against the Patriots. They had a good front. They were they were just big, strong, fast guys. You know, think about 2012 again. Um, you know, when they won the, another Super Bowl, they had a, a good front four that got after the quarterback. They didn't have a crazy amount of scheme. They just you know pinned their ears back and got after the quarterback, and that works too. Um, so there's going to be somebody on that roster. I can guarantee it that's going to emerge and be a pass rusher and get after the quarterback. Look, there's plenty of guys that can do it. They just haven't had the opportunity. And this is a great opportunity for somebody who's going to have to step up and and make a name for himself. And that's all you can ask for as a football player. Just, Hey, let me get on the field. Let me make some plays. Rob, speaking of stepping up, you have three Patriots, former teammates between Fleming, Lewis and Ebner, who are now part of the Giants. All three of these guys have been signed as reserve free agents just coming into the unit. Which one of those guys do you think will have the biggest impact on this year's Giants team and why? Well, look, I think all those guys are great football players. I I think that Nate is not only, you know, is he he a great person, a great football player, um, but he's a good leader. He's a great leader. And And right now you need leadership. You need veteran leadership um, as a as a new coaching staff trying to make some changes, trying to get your team to go in a different direction than they have been going. Changing the culture to change the culture, you need to have guys that are able to lead and and do things by example, and they're not going to argue with you. They're not going to fight back. They're just going to do what they're asked to do, and they're going to do it well. So. I think that Nate is probably one of the best additions um, to the roster. So guys can, you know, he's an Olympic athlete. He was on the Olympic team for, for rugby, uh, which is impressive to, to play on the Olympic team. It just speaks about, you know, your work ethic and how dedicated you are. And, uh, you know, again, I think that he is going to be great for the morale and great for the coaching staff for that team. Rob, before we let you go, Two other players, Cameron Fleming and Dion Lewis, are also added who you've worked with. Specifically, Dion Lewis, somebody that has provided that change of pace aspect to the backfield. And from your days in the Patriots organization, you very well know they rotated running backs like crazy. How does a guy like a Dion Lewis find a way to balance things with Saquon Barkley and also carve out a role with a premier back? I forgot about D. Lou. I'm not going to lie. Like he's gonna be a beast for you. Um, Dion is is like so quick, so fast, and he's got a chip on his shoulder all the time. So there's something about him. I don't know if it's because he's not so he's not so tall. He always wants to fight. He gets up wanting to fight. Like he's got he's always got energy. 
Um, so I love I love D. Lou. I think he's going to be a great addition, um, especially with Barkley. That you know that one-two combo of having a every down back, and then you throw in Dion in, in third down situations or screen third and long. Um, you have a back that can catch and run. Um, who's shifty, who's quick, like a water bug. I mean, he's going to be able to move and, and shake guys. So, you know, I, I just think that that is a great addition to the Giants, um, having a guy like that, especially when you have Barkley on the other side of that. Rob, final question. You mentioned specifically to the Giants, uh, but I want to talk lead-wide in general. You were around in 2011 when we had the lockout and the players didn't have a chance to do a spring program. Uh, but they can at least get together separately and work out together. They couldn't do that at all this year. So how is this league going to look in September when they've had four weeks of practice? Who knows? Maybe only two preseason games. Who knows how it's going to look? Just what do you think this league is going to look like, and what do you think some of the important factors are for teams that get off to a fast start? Uh, man, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be definitely um, it's going to be different. I th- I feel like you're going to see the guys who have been working hard, and the, you're going to see the guys that haven't been working hard. It's going to be clear. There might be some more injuries, which I hate to say, but um, if you're not conditioned to play football, if you haven't run and you haven't you know had the the training that you should have to play football, then you might have some unfortunate soft tissue injuries or something that that happens to you because you weren't ready to go play football. And, you know, I can remember the lockout, you know, there was, you know, that was the year that we made it to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, then that season, I felt like we were good because of the fact we had a, a good hardworking team that in the lockout did the right things. Um, they weren't just, you know, sitting on their couch eating potato chips. They were running <laughs> they were doing all the, they were running and doing all the right things. So you're going to have your, you're going to have guys that haven't been running and haven't been doing um, everything they should be doing. They're going to try and get it done two weeks or a week before they have to go report. And it's not going to be enough. So um, on the flip side of that, I also feel like a young quarterback, you know, like some of these teams that have a, a quarterback that hasn't started or hasn't, hasn't seen a lot of time yet. They're going to be behind the eight ball because they haven't had the reps under center I think that's the number one position where you need to see and you need to to look at different defensive looks that are shown to you on the field, not just on the like video or TV. But, you know that can only get you so far. You have to be on the field. You got to see it live in color and react to it as you would if you were playing football. Because you can't you can't just you can't go out there and just say like, oh yeah, I know football without playing football. You got to <laughs> play football. You got to take the reps. You got to have practice to be good. So. Um, you can do all the virtual stuff you want, but when it, when the when the bullets are live, it, it, it's it's a lot different. Rob, great stuff, my friend. We really appreciate it. Rob Ninkovich, analyst for ESPN, former Patriots linebackers. Get back to the toughest job in the world, my friend. Watching little kids. God bless. Yeah, Thanks, I Rob. Got three of them. Thanks, I got Rob. Three appreciate of them. it. It's tough. Yeah, I might be. I might be coaching soon. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Maybe I'll be in. The, maybe I'll be uh, with the Giants. I don't know. I got. You some, never know. I got some good connections. <laughs> Hey, uh, Rob, let me tell you, spending 16 hours in the office every day, a lot easier than watching three little kids for 12. <laughs> Not close. Thank you, Rob. Take care. Right, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Rob. Stay safe, yep, my bye. friend. That's Rob Nikovich. Some laughs at the end there. I could have edited out some of that noise, but I thought it was fun because, look, we're all living the same life here, right, with kids running around trying to work from home and – Thought it was funny, so I left it in. And uh, just great information there. Uh, I think that, along with the interview you did with Jonathan Casillas, is just invaluable in terms of, you know, how the Patriots operated, insight into Patrick Graham and Joe Judge. And I really hope uh, we've done a good job giving you some insight 
into those guys over the course of this offseason. Um, I know I've learned a lot, and I'm excited. It's a shame that you know we're not going to see. I think a lot of this stuff early because there's been no offseason program. The defense is so young. It might take this defense a while to round into shape. Um, but I look forward to them being able to do everything that you know Patrick Graham wants them to do, whether it's this year, next year, or everyone will look at it. Uh, it should be exciting, but it, I think it is going to be a little bit before we figure out exactly what this defense is going to be and exactly how they're going to play. I know Giant fans probably don't want to hear it, but sadly, I think that's just kind of just uh, the fact right now. So let's go back to the phones. 973-667-1960. For those of you joining us late, off the top, uh, we're still having server issues, which are completely outside of my control. Uh, since we had that long recorded interview, I'll just do the second half of the show solo. I will take your calls. I got a bunch of mailbag questions lined up that will appear in articles on Giants.com over the course of next week. I'm off next week. Next week's shows for Big Blue Kickoff Live will not be live, so it'll just be Big Blue Kickoff. They'll be recorded and posted every day. So just uh, keep that in mind for next week's shows. Then we'll be back live the following week, uh, next two weeks, and then the week after the fourth will be recorded again because I'm taking another week off because I need to recharge the batteries for the season. So... That's where we are, folks. The lines are open. Well, actually, the one line we have is full. And if you're calling in, the line's busy. That's why. But keep trying. And we will get back to you. And, you know, you'll get through as soon as uh, we get through with our first caller that's on the line. And that's Marcus, who's out in Portland, Oregon. And he wants to talk about the defense. Marcus, what's going on, pal? Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for taking my call. What's up, Marcus? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys today? Doing great. What's on your mind? Hey, well, I'm just I'm thinking about the defense and how how young we are as a team on that side of the ball. And you know, I I know we that you guys have talked a lot about we don't have a Batman and a Robin. Like, yeah, I get that. It's going to be a team effort in order for the defense to play well. But I'm I'm curious with the the second and third year players. I mean, you guys have been around the locker room a lot, and I'm, I just want to hear your opinion on who's going to really step up and be a leader on that side of the ball. Are you talking about performance-wise or in terms of being, like, an actual leader? Just, just leadership in general. Performance-wise, like, I understand, again, it's going to be more of a team effort, but I want to know who's going to be, like, the voice of that of that side of the ball. Yeah, you know, I think that's a real good question. And now I have not been around James Bradbury enough to know if he can be that guy in the secondary, so I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think in the secondary, you either look at him or you look at Jabril Pepper, who I think has mm -hmm. the ability, the, the fire— to be that type of leader in the secondary. But overall, I think it's going to be Blake Martinez. Look, he's going to be the guy that has the um, speaker in the headset to take the calls and line everybody up. He's a really smart guy. I had a chance to talk to him after they signed him uh, for a good 10, 12 minutes. He seems like a guy that is going to really try to take control of the defense. So to me, those two guys stand out for me, Marcus, that could be guys that step in and really secure leadership roles along with Bradbury. Okay, hey, and just to kind of add on to that, like, sure. how how is Ryan Connolly's voice in the locker room? Is he kind of more of a quiet guy, or is he just like uh, stepping up to be a leader at some point? Because I I know we had a small sample size of how he could play last season, but you know, for what we saw, I thought he played pretty well. No, look, Marcus, I agree. I think he did play well from what we saw. Now, again, it was just three and a half games until he hurt himself. He had those two interceptions that were kind of gift interceptions, but they're still interceptions. Um, I thought he played well. And the issue is that he was a rookie last year. So, no, he was not this big vocal leader bringing guys together because he was a late-round draft pick and he was a mm -hmm. first-year player just figuring things out. So I think he can develop into a player like that. I'm not sure he's ever going to be a rah-rah, you know, go-nuts type of emotional leader. I don't think that's who he is. But 
as a linebacker, yeah, I think he's a guy that could help lead a defense. He's a smart guy. I think he's a guy that's well-liked in the locker room. But as a first-year guy who had just played in four games, no, he had not secured any sort of major leadership role before he got hurt last year. Understandable. To you, being a rookie, more observant and everything. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate you taking my call. Stay safe out there and go to Big Blue. Hey, you too, Marcus. Stay safe, my friend. 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960. So since I'm solo, folks, I could use some help on the phones. We'll have some nice conversations, but if you don't want to call, that's fine, too. I do have a bunch of mailbag questions here that I can get to, um, and I gotta, I'll gotta use my whole voice up. It's okay. I'm off next week, so <laughs> we'll get it all in. But there's another caller, so let's go back to the phones. Caller, you're on the air with Schmelk. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, hey, John. Len from Columbia, Maryland. Len, how are you, buddy? Good, good, good. Um, you know, it's interesting that you asked Nick that that uh, that, that last question because that's what I really wanted to discuss with you. Sure. And get your opinion on um, hey, how much time. I mean, we're going to have to reimagine this season in some way. And it seems to me that the goal at this point is to be competitive opening week. And with that as a backdrop, um you, you know what's what's the what's what's the minimum? Um, I, how much time do we need? I mean, you look at something like the XFL uh, and those other leagues that have emerged over the last fifteen or twenty years. They they weren't playing any preseason games. They were just going into the season. What, you know, again, being competitive. If if every team has the same two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, right. Um, I, how much time do you really need to play football on that first weekend, John? It, you know, it may get down to that unless we're going to put off the start of the season. No, you're right, Len. I, th- I think it's a really good question. Now, the unfortunate thing is that, in my opinion at least, the schedule makers didn't do the Giants any favors because the teams they play earlier in the year in ESPN, and they'll talk about this more next week. I, don't want, I won't blow the lead with where the Giants are. ESPN uh, posted an article talking about um, the percent percentage of snaps returning for each team in the NFL this year, okay? okay? The Giants play the 49ers in the first month. They have the fourth most snaps returning from last year. The Giants play the Steelers in the first month. They have the fifth most snaps returning from last year. The Giants play the Bucks in October. They have the ninth most snaps returning from last year. And then you go down, the Rams are a little further down this list, but they have McVay back, they have Goff back, and guys like that, so they're together. And then the Steelers, they obviously have Roethlisberger and Tomlin have been there to- together forever. So right. a lot of the guys that they're going to play in this first month are teams that have continuity. And the other thing that worries me too, Len, I think at the start of the year, even though it's a young quarterback in a new offense, I think Jones's familiarity with the talent around him, timing with the receivers and stuff like that is going to help. But the problem is that the first four teams they play were all top 10 defenses against the pass last year. And that's going to be really hard for even a good offense to go against such good defenses. Then the other side of the ball, I think the defense with so many young guys might be slower coming along. So, look, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here with Giant fans, but I do think it could be a little bit of a rough go of it to start. I think the team's going to have to play very well early if they want to win those September games against some good teams. It's possible, but it's going to be hard. To your point, 
How many games do you need to get ready? Look, this has been a debate that's been going on, right, when you talk about adding regular season games, subtracting preseason games. Right. You know, are they going to play four? There are talks maybe to reduce it according to some reports that are out there. To me, Len, you need to get your starters just for cardiovascular reasons a half a football. They need a half a football on the field playing in a real game. Other than that, I think you can build up and do the other stuff in practice. But I do think you do need a fair amount of snaps, especially for a team like the Giants, who are getting used to two new systems. So, well, okay. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using that as a as as kind of a, a model, uh, what what you're talking about is about three weeks, Sean. I mean, two weeks two weeks of practice, a game, and we go to the regular season. I think you got to play two preseason games because you need to get an evaluation tool also for the bottom of your roster. So I think you kind of split it, right? You have yep. your game that's two weeks before the season starts. That'll be your game where you play your starters a lot. And then the second game, which is, you know, the traditional fourth preseason game, would be the game where you try to figure out the bottom of your roster. Because remember, Len, if you're cutting down the length of training camp too, your time to evaluate these guys is really, really small. Yeah, but John, let me let me let me throw out an idea to you. Sure. And again, we're getting to you know we're getting to a point where things are getting desperate. You know, what are we going to do? How do we how do we complete the full season? How do we remain competitive? Now, I'm not I'm not talking about a fine tuned machine. On, you know, the first weekend, I, I'm I'm just talking about not losing forty five to ten. <laughs> you know, keep no, keep eyeballs on on the screen. Um, you know, the first preseason game, people are watching. I mean, it's not a fine-oiled machine. It, you, you're out there. How do you remain competitive? Now, on on the um, um, on on the evaluation point, if you and I, Lance, Paul, Charlie, Scott in New Mexico, sat down and drew up a list of 65 players that we thought could go through the season, I don't think we'd be that far off, John. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think the last – here's the funny thing, though, Len, and I always struggle with this when a new coach comes in, and unfortunately we've had to do that a lot the past, you know, three years, you four years. You don't know really how a coach likes to form out his roster until you see him do it once. You know, does he want to keep three quarterbacks? Does he like to keep a bunch yeah. of undrafted guys? Does he like to have veteran backups? Does he like to have young backups? Yeah. This is this is a coach-to-coach -coach type of deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it – it seems to me we we can again we're we're talking desperation time, mm -hmm. you know. And you talked earlier in the week about you guys talked earlier in the week about you know how do we keep these people safe? Ninety players. How do we maintain social distance? How, how do we keep? Well, maybe you don't bring as many people to training camp, Sean. Yeah, you know, maybe. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking. Remember, the good thing brought, about the good thing about training camp, sixty five players in. If you brought sixty five players in. 53 plus 12 for your practice squad. Right. I mean, you're making the decision two weeks in advance. If you brought them in for two weeks, could you play a game that first scheduled weekend in the NFL? Now, Len, the one good thing about training camp is that all the guys are in a hotel, and they kind of are isolated together. Yeah. So that does make training camp almost a little bit easier to deal yeah. with because they are in a centralized location, so you can, you know— create somewhat yeah. of a bubble. You know, if you go back yeah. to when the Giants were in Albany, right, they just stayed up there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that makes it a little bit easier. I think you need more than 53. I think, yep. do you need 100? Maybe not. Can you yep. do it with 85? Well, Maybe. 
See, the, the only thing I see about that, all, all people in a hotel, you, you're talking about 90 of them and 25 coaches. And, you know, forget the rest of the folks. But you got you got 90. I mean, it's not like the NBA or the NHL or even Major League Baseball. You're talking smaller numbers. 90 people. No, it's Joe. A lot. So, Glenn, it, look, it's it, it's going to be rough. Guys are going to have to be responsible. And to your point, you know, I said 100. You're right. It is 90. And look, you can get away with less, but I think it's the volume isn't necessarily as important. It's a matter of guys being smart. And you know, when these coaches are out there on the field, you know, are they going to be wearing masks? You know, to at least protect themselves. The players aren't when yeah. they're doing their athletic activity, obviously. But will the yeah. coaches be wearing masks? Yeah, I, I don't know. Gonna, maybe. I think we're going to get to a point, Sean, where there are fewer people in training camp. We're going to make some cuts. And I mean, actually, that happens every day. I mean, if Golden signs tomorrow, somebody gets cut, John. Right, and, and there I is. I mean, so and, there's and cuts happening make, all the time. Yeah, and you can make cuts anytime you want. I think there's going to be smaller numbers, and I think there's going to be smaller number of coaches too. I. I you know, I just think all the, uh, you know, quality control folks, I mean, guys like that, you can operate remotely. You don't really need them on the, on the field. We've got to keep the numbers down. I mean, I mean, the doctors are telling us what works, <laughs> and we know what works. I mean, social distancing works. Jeez, I mean, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be tough. I hope it works out. I really do, because I'm looking forward to football. Yeah, hey, too, John, man. thanks for keeping me on so long. Have a great no, weekend, buddy. No problem, Len. Okay, Appreciate take it, care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That opens up the line, folks, 973-667-1960. And look, here's the thing. Like, I hate to – I really hate to, you know, speculate about this sort of stuff because we just don't know how it's going to go. We don't have a feel for it yet. I mean, the NBA is going to start now their season after NFL training camps are supposed to open. So, you know, they'll be in Disney doing training and stuff, but they're not starting their regular season until the end of July. Camps are opening for NFL teams in the middle of July. You know, the Cowboys and Eagles, the Cowboys and Steelers, Cowboys and Steelers, I think, are playing the Hall of Fame game on August 6th, which means that they're going to be in camp around, like, you know, July 20th or before that even. So we'll see. Look, this is not going to be easy. It's going to be strange. It's going to be weird. But everyone has to be – look, here's the thing. Everyone has to be personally responsible. If everyone is personally responsible, does it guarantee something's not going to happen? No. Does it reduce the chance? Yes. So every player – Coach, staff member, including me, who will be in the building, is going to have to do their best to be responsible. And that means socially distancing when you're at the facility and when you're not. You know, even if it's open, am I going to go to a restaurant and eat? No, I'm I'm not. This isn't the Giants telling me I can't, but I'm trying to be responsible. I mean, can you imagine if we get to, like, September 14th and... I'm sitting there and six giant players, you know, like test positive for coronavirus. And then I found out I got it at some restaurants. I went out to eat. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I just don't think it's the responsible thing to do, given how many other people I can impact. Now, when we're going to take out, I'll stuff my face, be a fat slob. But I'm not going to sit in the restaurant and do it. And I think everyone's going to have to make some level of sacrifice in that regard. It's not going to be easy. It's going to stink. But... To get the greater good, which is to have an NFL season, which I think this whole country needs desperately, it's what you have to do. And we're all going to try to do it together. And we'll figure out what works best. And we'll get there. 973-667-1960. Let's go back to the phones, call. You're on the line with Schmelk. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello, caller. I hear somebody breathing. He's there. Caller, are you on the line? Hi, this is, this is John from Staten Island. John, what's up, uh, man? What's on your mind? 
I like to take a little exception to what Lynn said. I think that I think that our expectations for this year's team might be a little high at this point. Um, last year, I think all, it was all about do we have a franchise quarterback, and I think that what came out of last year is that we do have a franchise quarterback. That we needed some better coaching and some better talent around him, but <clears throat> that the most important member of the team was uh, probably in place. I think this year's. Um, this year's expectation has to be with the coaching staff. Do we have a coaching staff that can take all of these young players and put them in a position where they where they can succeed? And I don't see how I don't I don't see how not having met your players only four weeks from game one is going to be able to. I don't think a realistic expectation is to be competitive um, game one. I think having a system in place, having coaches in place and steadily improving during the course of the season is what I think as, as a fan, I've been a fan since the 1950s, so I maybe take a little longer-term view <laughs> uh, of the team. Uh, I waited 30 years for my, first, for my first Super Bowl championship. Well, John, I'll say this. I, I think, to me, even if you have those disadvantages that you talk about, and I agree with you, I think it's going to be really hard to judge this coaching staff based on what this team looks like in week one, two, or three. I agree. But I still think, Len, is a point. You also don't want to go out and embarrass yourself. And I think that's the point Len was trying to make in those first four games. you got to be in the game. Look, the 49ers are a great team. They don't have some high-powered offense that should run up the score and score 50 on you. The Bears don't know who their starting quarterback is. The Giants' offense might struggle to score against a good defense, but the Bears shouldn't, you know, Mitchell Trubisky or Nick Foles shouldn't be putting a 40 spot up on the defense. You know, kind of things like that. It's not necessarily the result. It's how the team looks in those games. That exactly. I, that, yeah. That's exactly my point, is that, is that the team has to show that it's organized, Bingo. that the players are making less mistakes, that they're in the position they're supposed to be in, even if they don't make the play. As, as long as they're thinking in the right way, putting in the right effort, and, and we see progress, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the defensive backfield, I mean, we still, some players got some valuable playing time last year in the, in the defensive backfield. Uh, I don't know why it took so long to get Julian Love on the field, but, uh, you know, and it's unfortunate what happened with DeAndre Baker, but... If, if these kids can come through and be in the right position and, and, and cut off the backside run and, and all of the technical things that need to be done, if we start to see that, then the team will improve. I, I, I believe that. And I, agree. I don't think we're a playoff team this year, but maybe next year. You know, John, I'll say maybe this too. Year. And you mentioned this about Daniel Jones. I got a mailbag question about this that it's going to go up, I think, end of next week. And – Yes, I think you put it the proper way. We think that the Giants have a franchise quarterback in place. With that said, I don't think it's fair to say off of just 12 starts in a year where he had, you know, a bunch of fumbles and a bunch of interceptions that we know for sure. But I think there are certainly a lot of reasons to be optimistic that he is the guy going forward. And look, there might be a little bit of a slow start this year. People need to bake that into their expectations. Like, I think it was so important last year, 
John, from a fan's perspective, that Jones came out and played so well in that first game in, in, against right. Tampa? Because that right. it, it's funny how those first impressions can just shade how people view an entire season just because of that first impression. And look, this year's first impression, when they go out there and play the Steelers, who have a great defense in Week 1, the first impression might not be great. I just hope fans don't go the opposite way this year than they did last year when the first impression was great and it allowed them to overlook some of the foibles along the way, which are understandable for a rookie. I'm not criticizing him. And then this this year, if there's a slow start, but then he has a really good October, you know, when you're playing some weaker defenses, he has a good November. I, I hope fans can understand that this is still a, 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 um, a process here and that he's not where he's going to be and he's going to have to right. work through some things. Now, now it would be a very good thing in my mind if Daniel Jones cuts his fumbles down by half this year um, because it will show that he has the character and the foresight Sorry, to That's make okay. improvements. Look, he, um, he averaged, what, one fumble a game last year, right? So that right. would mean 16 over a 16-game season. If you can get that in half, I think that would be great. To me, if, that, you, can, if you can get it below double digits, I think that's a success. Right. Right, I, and I agree. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Daniel Jones needs to be Aaron Rodgers this year or Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he can be. I don't think it's a realistic expectation to make him that. But as long as he keeps showing improvement, and the thing is, the thing is that when he made good plays, some of those throws he made, okay, were as good as any NFL quarterback needs to make to win a Super Bowl. Okay, now. Be consistent, you know. Be Aaron, be Aaron Rodgers, be Drew Brees, be able to make that throw time after time. That's what's going to separate the bottom five quarterbacks in the league from the top five quarterbacks in the league is consistency. Hey, look, and, and it's, it's, as, it's, it's cutting out on negative plays, right? I mean, that's really it. Right. You need to cut down right. on those plays that loses your team's games. I mean, look, you, if you watch Jameis Winston, he makes throws that make you go, "Holy cow, look at that!" But then he throws thirty picks. So right. you, you say you have to cut down on the negative plays, which is hard to do for a young guy, but it's something that he has to do if, to your point, he wants to be a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. Well, what that comes down to in my mind, though, in some way, some, certainly some of it has to do with the quarterback, but a lot of it has to do with the coaching and to be able to analyze, analyze your player and then bring him to a point where he can do something, release the ball faster, yeah, you know what, though, John? I, I think the offense was designed last year for him to get the ball out. I honestly mm -hmm. think, like, you know, for you can say a lot of things about that, that Pat Shermer didn't do well, and it's fine, it's fair, that's why they let him go. But I think the guy actually knows how to design and run an offense. And look, it's a rookie quarterback. If you look at, and I'm going to write a huge article on this in a couple weeks on Jones' season, and, 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 you know, analyzing it every which way, if you look at the guys on the bottom of the list for NFL quarterbacks in terms of time until they throw the football— all the guys at the bottom of the list are, are young quarterbacks. All of them. Right. Young quarterbacks right. just take longer to process what's happening. They hold it a little longer. And then that also, by the way, leads to fumbles because it gives the defense more time to get to the quarterback. So everything's right. connected. Right. Right. But And having a better offensive line and giving him another three-quarters of a second, which is maybe all it needs between the, getting the ball off, even if it's an accurate – even if it's not an accurate pass and having it swiped out of your hands for a fumble and a, yeah. and, and, a, and a loss of possession. I mean, you know, now that we've improved our offensive line, and it, they, but they're not going to be together in week one. They may not be together for week five or six. You know, John, here's the funny thing, see, though. 
we want to see progression. Let me ask you about the offensive line. Because to me, I know everyone says the offensive line definitely got better. You know, I think it's better. You know, but Nate Solder's returning. You hope he has a bounce back year. Do we know he is? No. You hope Will Hernandez gets better. Do we know he's going to get better? No. Zeitler, I think, is solid as a rocket right guard. He's going to be fine. I thought Mike Grummers played pretty well at right tackle last year. Do I know that in his rookie year with no offseason, Andrew Thomas is going to be better than Mike Grummers right off the bat? I don't think I know that. I think he can be, but I don't know that. I think in the future he'll certainly be a better player. But right, right. away in the first two months this year, eh, I don't know. And then the center is pretty much the same group of guys with Shane Lemieux in the mix. So to me, I don't know the offensive line is going to be better. I think it can be, but I don't think that's a guarantee right off the bat. And, yes, I know you mentioned the coaching. I think Mark Colombo is an upgrade there too. I, uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, again, I'm taking a little more of the longer view right. that I think this offensive line has a much higher upside and even a higher floor than than the offensive line last year because at this time last year we didn't even know who was going to be playing half of these positions. At <laughs> least now we have a good idea. And Will Hernandez uh, doesn't doesn't uh, and Zeitler the guards don't necessarily need to get better. They um, th- if they stay the same and 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 there's even a little drop off at right tackle. You know the kid is going to get better week in and week out. Yep. And hopefully. Um, Nate Solder can come back and have a better year. Personally, I would I would put the kid on the left side and Solder on the right side as soon as possible because that's where you future lies. And like I said, I'm looking for, I'm looking to get back to the playoffs maybe next year and then to start making some runs in the playoffs after that. I I totally um, get that perspective, John. Anyway, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you very much for what you've done for us for the past uh, 12 weeks. It's been amazing. Hey, no problem, John. Thank you to you and everybody else out there listening. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye. That opens up a line at 973-667-1960. Good conversation there with John. I kept him on. I thought he was making some really good points. So it was good to chat with him. And look, I, I, there, there are a lot of questions. And, you know, it, it's a young team. And there's room for guys to improve, room for guys to get better. Room for the coaches to make a difference. All these things are, are possibilities. They're in the books. But the offseason is working against all those things happening. Does that mean they're not going to happen? No. Does it mean they are going to happen? No. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. So, you know, it could swing so many different ways. It really can. It might take a few games for the team to get up to speed. And that's okay. And I know what people are going to say when I when I say this. If the state team starts 0-2 and they lose to the Bears in a close game, I'm going to be on there. I'm going to say, guys, look, you know, it's just a couple games. It's young. They got to get into it. And people are like, oh, you're making excuses. You're being a homer. What are you doing? I'm telling you right now, okay, there's a chance it's a slow start. The Steelers are really good. The Bears have a really good defense, and you're in Chicago. The Niners are excellent. There's a chance the team starts slow, and that's okay. It's okay. Given the circumstances, people have to understand the reality. It's not an excuse. It's the reality. Back to the line. Caller, you're on the line with Schmelk. What's your name? Where are you calling from? What's going on, Schmelk? This is Dre in Atlanta. Trey, long time, man. What's up? That is good. Good, pretty much. You know, I've looked at, you know, everything going on with the team, how, you know, the avenue they're taking. I think even though we have a new coach, Every team is still playing on a level playing field in reference to the virtual. 
it all depends on when training camp when um, training camp start. How um, each team collectively gelled during that period. I now, agree, Dre. The only difference is that teams that have the same coaches and played together previously don't have to do the same amount of gelling as teams that have new coaches, new schemes, and players that maybe haven't played with each other before. You know what I mean? But you know, the one thing is, I agree, but the one thing is, you know what that team is already bringing, so you can already scheme against it. So it's That's nothing a, brand new. Good point, you too. You know what they have. Good point. So, you know, it's pretty much, okay, this is the only wrinkle. These are just some wrinkles they had, something that they already, you know, presented. You know, that so is the way to look at it. The Giants can surprise people. People will not know what the Giants are going to do in week one. What is the defense going to do? What's the offense going to do? Nobody's going to know. That's a fair point. Right. And in reference to the offensive line, you know, we've always talked about continuity. How well do they gel? How well do they play together? I think during this time period, how well did they communicate within each other to talk about the little nuances nuances or idiosyncrasies that they have in reference to how they play. And then once they get on the field, do they remember what each, you know, their, their left mate and their right mate said so they can play on that. So it, it all goes on the communication and the mental reps that they took in reference to that, uh, the virtual meetings. So it can happen. Do I think that the Giants are going to be a playoff team this year? I, I think a lot of injuries will have to happen throughout the league for us to be able to take <laughs> advantage of that aspect, for us to be playoff team. You know, not saying that we're going to be a bad team. I don't think we're going to be a four, a four and um, with it, four and fifteen. Well, not 15, four and twelve. Four and um, twelve. Four Trey, and how about 12, this? How about this? On, on December first, be alive for a playoff spot. Be mathematically involved. That's what I'm looking for. But also, here's the thing: we have to take into account now that you know we talk about well, we don't have any wide receivers, and you know. Every all these wide receivers on these teams are ne- aren't necessarily going to make the uh, the fifty six. So you know we may pick up someone that's been released. You know, and nine times ten, the players, that, uh, some of the receivers or some of the players that we may be lacking in are released are on teams that have you know they are good players, but just they just can't beat the incumbents that's already on the team. So we could benefit that way. And also, uh, eight and eighteen can make the playoffs this year, depending on how the rest of the league go, because. There's no more uh, two team first round buys, so yep. there are different ways for us to capitalize on how you know we can get there. But we can't say you know I'm optimistic, but you know I'm reserving it to I see what what product is put on the field and how we uh, play. Well, Joe, I want to ask you a okay. question. Uh, how concerned are you? Because I'm not, and maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I try not to be. You know, are you concerned with the wide receiver group because of the injury potential? Include I'm going to include Evan Ingram in that conversation. Or are you concerned about it because of their talent? Because to me, the group of Shepard, Tate, Slayton, Ingram, Barkley is more than good enough to me to give defense mismatch issues and give them something to worry about. So is it the talent you're worried about or is it the injuries that you're worried about? I'm more worried about the injuries. Okay, that's um, fair. Shepard is one... Shepard is one concussion away from his career being over, so that is something to look at. But barring injury, make sure we know you know we don't get snake bit. You know, if we play, if you know if if you know everybody got an extra year under the belt of experience, you know we play sound football, injury free, you know as well as we can because it's still is football, a physical sport. I'm not worried about the talent we have on the field because they've each each collective player on the field on uh, our receiver has proven that they've can, that they can perform. Now Slayton has more tape on him, so it's up for him to take that next step to be able to add new um, weapons to his arsenal because they they already see what you know what he can. So you can now you can scheme and stop him, you know. So he has to add some more weapons 
um, to his repertoire so he could be more effective. Because it's always the second year where now they have um, tape on you. Like Victor Cruz excelled, you know, I think he excelled better after his first year because he added different nuances to his game. He started playing outside more other yep. than the slot. So he was all over the place. So with that, you look at it, you know, talent-wise, we have it, you know, because Shepard could get open on the inside or outside. Tate can get open on the inside or outside. Darren Slayton never played the slot, but he's a, he's a speedster, you know. Um, I think we need to put Saquon outside a little bit more. You put you put um you have a two back system and put Saquon out there. I think it'll, it'll confuse everyone, and they'll start keying to Saquon and start moving over defense to um, defense to him, and you could just run up the middle if everybody gets their block. So there's so many different things we can do. It's kind of different from the the classic aerial car, um offense, but I think if we play injury free. And um, Joe Judge comes in and gets everyone playing on the same accord, and and we get rid of the mental mistakes. I think you know we can surprise some folks. Dre, I'm with you. Thank you for the call, my friend. Stay safe. No problem. Hey, look, I, I think you broke it down too, and I think what I'll how I'll term it: the strength of this offense and the receiving core. And again, when I say receiving core, I don't just mean wide receivers. I mean everyone that Jones is going to throw the ball to, including Ingram and Barkley. It's diversity. This is a diverse group in terms of the skills that they have. Now, I think Shepard and Tate are somewhat similar, but Slayton's very different. Barkley is a freak show, and Ingram is a tight end that runs a 4-4 and is like 6-4. So, how many of those guys are running around? So, it's a situation where they have a lot of different guys that can get open, win one-on-one matchups, and be matchup issues. You know, Barkley and Ingram are matchup nightmares. To Dre's point, you motion Barkley outside, there's a linebacker on him, the whole defense has to switch and move. Or it could be a touchdown. You get Ingram on a linebacker going up the seam, ooh, you better get a safety over there. You want to cover Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate in the slot with a two-way go, one-on-one? All right, good luck. I'll take my chances. You don't want to put a safety over the top on Slayton? All right, let's see if his four, you know, four one speed, whatever it was, four three nine. I forget what it was. You know, can beat the corner over the top with no safety help. So this set of skill position players, if healthy... And being worried about health is fair, I think is going to provide a lot of issues for defenses. I didn't have to read one mailbag question. That's how good you guys were on the phone. I know I kept guys longer than I usually do, but I thought we had good conversations. We had different topics. So it was fun. I want to thank Lance and Paul and, of course, uh, the interview with Rob Ninkovich. Uh, we did that together. So thank you to those guys. Thank you to Rob for joining us. I'm talking to a lot of Patriots here, man. It's a little icky. But it's fun. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. I think it was a great spot. So uh, the archive will be up, folks. Make sure you check it out. And we'll eventually put that Ninkovich interview up on uh, the John Suttle podcast as well. You can check it out there. I want to remind everybody, you can find Big Blue Kickoff live at noon, live from 12 to 1 every day. But again, it will not be live next week. So the week of June 15th, we will do recorded shows and post them up. We'll start doing our team previews for giant opponents in that uh, first month of the NFL season. So stay tuned for that. Then we'll be back live the week of the 22nd of June and the week after that uh, at noon every day on Giants.com with the Giants mobile app. You can also find all the archives of the show on Giants.com slash podcast. You can find all our podcasts, including the Giants huddle, and you can find the archive on the Giants mobile app. But folks, the easiest way to get us really, if you don't want to listen live, is to get us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, TuneIn, you name it. We're on all of them. You subscribe. It just gets put on your phone every day, whatever it gets posted. 
You can listen. You can download it. You don't have to be connected to your Wi-Fi or the internet. You can walk around. You can just listen to it. It really is the best way to do it. So if you don't listen live, that's a great way to do it. But of course, if you like the app, if you like the website, we're up there too. Thanks to the guys. I'm Schmelk. Great job, everybody. I'll see you in about 10 days, and hopefully I'll be nice, uh, calm, and relaxed when I get back. <laughs> you know, that's not going to be the case. See you then. Enjoy your week. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. Stay safe.